0: For free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Hello, welcome to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham. Thank you so much for all your fantastic feedback, particularly on the Claire Williams podcast and the support for Williams has been incredible. I didn't doubt that for a minute but it was great to hear your thoughts on their plight and everybody's support to get them back to the front of the grid where they belong. And that segues nicely to my next guest who is Mr. Rob Smegley, formerly of Ferrari as Felipe Massa's race engineer and of course more recently with Williams. He's a much loved member of the F1 paddock, taking something of a sabbatical at the moment. We hear all about that. Uh, He's clever, funny, self-deprecating, and of course with a phenomenal racing passion and brain. He talks to me about family bereavement, about unfulfilled ambitions, and of course, plenty of F1 chat. Now, I must just say that when we did this interview, it was nice and early at Soho House. Nobody else was there but gradually it started to fill up, so there's a bit of background noise. Apologies for that. I do hope it doesn't distract you from what is essentially a great chat with a great man. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Rob Smedley on In The Pink. Um, Rob, great to see you. Um, and you- how are you?
2: I'm all right. Yeah? I'm all right. I'm very relaxed, in fact.
1: Well, I was going to say you must be because you're not really working that much at the moment, are you? How
2: dare you? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is such a no. I am actually. I'm working. Oh, you're uh, considering your options. I'm uh, working
1: for
2: Form. Yeah. Form? Yeah. So I'm doing. So basically, I'm doing consultancy, okay. and I'm setting up different businesses, and I'm having the time of my life. In fact, yeah, I am. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm kind of getting a whole new view on life um, so yeah I mean the FOM thing we can talk about that a bit more um, and then consulting for other clients as well just using my knowledge that they want to kind of tap into um, and then building up these other things as well um, so I don't know it's it's kind of like it's a whole new world for me but I thought I would be much keener to get back into Formula 1 but with the options that I've got now i um, I'm less keen, if you really? like.
1: See, I didn't think you'd say that. I, I I think Formula One can be addictive, and I think that you can say, oh, just one more season, just one more season, and before you know it, you look back at 20-odd years. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's very healthy for your lifestyle, particularly when you've got a young family. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you if you are missing that competitiveness, the competition of F1 that is... As as I say, almost a drug.
2: Yeah, the the things, the things that I miss, um, which which may take me back there, you know. um, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not going to do it. I'm just saying right now I'm 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 not. um, It's not top of my considerations list. But the things that that would take me back there is definitely that, you know, the the things that I I love and I've never stopped loving is that is that is the Saturday and Sunday afternoon, Um, and you know, for a lot of my life. The being away from my family, um, being basically married to to a job, um, the horrendous amount of of travel and staying in in, in rubbish hotels and, and bad flights and all the rest of it, that kind of compensated for it. But it got to the last three years or whatever, um, and it didn't compensate for it anymore. You know, I still love it. You know, when I'm in that moment and it and it's the Saturday or the Sunday afternoon, and you're kind of pitting your wits against. Um, other people, then, you know, I, I still get a massive buzz out of that. It's still what we do it for as engineers. You know, we want to, you know, think that we're better than 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 another group of engineers. So we go, and, you know, put ourselves against them every Saturday and Sunday afternoon, and I still love doing that. Um, but it's it's you, you sacrifice a lot to get to that point. You sacrifice an awful lot to get to that point. And the other bit that I miss, I guess, is just working with. Um, you know good groups of people and and, and working in big teams um, you know by big groups big departments of of, of very very clever people um, and having that whole learning by osmosis that you kind of do you know each minute of, of, of every day so so there's there's them bits that I miss but then you know there's there's lots of, of new stuff that, that I'm learning um, and just lots of opportunities that have kind of just opened up um, you know I, I, I remember saying to, to, to Lucy my wife when I first kind of stopped in, you know, and it was like February time. And I was already, I was lucky because I had clients straight away that wanted to, to come and work with me. Um, but I also had this time on my hands where I could like take the kids to school and like I was, I was home at weekends and stuff like that. So I used to take the kids to school and I'd be walking back and all the, all the cars in the drives that were, were there had now gone because people had gone to work and like the streets were really like, you know, the, the, the little roads around where we live were all really quiet because everyone had gone to work, and I had this like massive feeling of guilt, like if I was doing something wrong. But then I thought to myself, "Well, he's been stupid because if they could do it, they would be doing it." So, so um, yeah, here I am. So, yeah, at the minute you know, there's bits that I miss, but there's also bits that that I don't miss definitely. Well, it's
1: quite nice just to take stock and reflect. And as you say, opportunities are bound to flood in, um, not least from your time in Ferrari. You know, just that association alone is enough to be compelling. Which actually reminds me. Of my earliest personal memory of you,
2: (laughs) wait for it. This could
1: be back. (laughs) No, 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 it's good. It was just that I remember walking into the track in Monza and just seeing this sea of red, this kind of crazy Tifosi going nuts. And I was like, who are they going nuts for? And it was you. (laughs) And I remember thinking, wow, this, this lad from Middlesbrough is here. And sort of deified by the Italian public. And that must have been well it was surreal enough for me watching, but how on earth did that feel for you?
2: Um well weird when it all started to be honest. You know, you got a bit used to it, but but quite weird. Um I, I, I'm still I'm still a little bit taken aback by it, how people would be interested in in like an engineer kind of thing. Um I'm still very taken aback by it. And in fact the, the Italian like the, the Fry fans even though I I, I left and, and went to Williams they've always they're still really good you know it's still difficult for me to get in and out of Monza um, and it's, it's just a nice country you know it's a country that, that will remain part of me now you know I'm, a, I'm, I'm an adult um, well I try to be an adult <laughs> I most, 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 I've kind of grown up um, but that was part of. I think men grow up at different stages, don't they? You know, and I think I didn't fully grow up until I was about forty, so about five years ago. <laughs> um, and but so that was definitely part of my my growing up phase of 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 kind of living with that and living in that country and, and dealing with it and dealing with kind of being this this sport, for want of a better word, which makes me sound a bit weird, but. But a celebrity in, or a, a, motor, a Formula One celebrity, if you like, which is not a real celebrity, by the way. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I just kind of loved it, and it's part of me. You know, we got, we, we have so many friends there. Um, we were back there in February as well, um, in our old house, um, which is actually the house where where John Todd used to live. Um, well, it must our, be posh then. No, it's not very posh at all. Well, our friends live there now, and we used to be next door neighbours. Um, so we used to live. Across the the field, kind of thing from him, and um, it was just nice to be back. You know, we just got so many friends and the, you know, so many good memories, and and it was nice to just walk around and, and see people. And I don't know, it'll, it'll always remain part of me. It's it's kind of defined me in a way.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I want to go um, even further back and and look at your childhood and coming up through the ranks. Now, I was talking to Ted Kravitz about you the other day, and it made me laugh because I said and I don't know where I got this from, maybe you told me this and duped me, but I said, well, he went to Cambridge, didn't he? And Ted said, no, he's not that clever. I mean, he's smart, but he's not that smart. You didn't, you went to Loughborough. That's, That's right. right, isn't it? Yeah. So you must have been sporty as well as clever. What was your sport?
2: Football. Uh, always, always football, really. Um,
1: you must have been pretty handy at it to go to Loughborough, because all my mates that went to Loughborough were good at sport and wanted to get a decent degree as well.
2: No, not really. I think I think Loughborough—it's it's a bit of a misnomer, really. Loughborough is a really, really good um, engineering degree. It's a fantastic engineering degree, and the reason why I picked uh, Loughborough was because um, because it's got a little bit of a, the, something to do with sport, um, but it's it's more to do with the fact that. It's more to do with the fact someone's moving chairs about.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Apologies to our listeners for this dragging of furniture across the room. Pick it up. I'll send Smedley in.
2: Has it stopped? Yeah. Um, so I went to I went Loughborough um, just because it was a great engineering degree, but it was also a little bit practical as well. I've always been quite a practical engineer. Um, and... Um, So I like to get my hands dirty, you know, I like to kind of get in there and and, and make stuff, Um, as well as understanding the theory. You know, I'm absolutely, I'm I'm slightly obsessed with with maths and stuff like that, which makes me an Uber geek. So I wouldn't, I think that's Ted's perception of what, you know, smart people go to Cambridge or or Oxford. Um, There's a little bit of truth in that, but um, I'll be slightly contentious now as an engineer. They're not the smartest people that come out of Oxford and Cambridge, you know. Um, I've got friends. I, you know, if I could have gone there, then then I probably would have chosen not to go there.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, you, you went. I've got friends. Dot dot dot. What? Who went there and went that smart or that didn't should have gone there?
2: No, I've got fr- no, no. I've got I've got friends who, who, who went there. You know, I've got well, friends. Who, you've
1: got friends. I'm yeah, sure yeah, you do I, have friends. Just,
2: it was just something to drop in as part of the conversation that I've got friends because <laughs> nobody thinks I have. Really? <laughs> No, I've got mates who went there, um, and you kind of look at them and you think, well, they didn't really come out with a very good good technical degree, you know, maths degrees or, or, or engineering degrees. They do something called engineering science there, and they're all very proud of it, the people who come out. And you think, well, yeah, um, nice, slightly useless. <laughs> OK,
1: well... Let- Anyone listening from Oxford and Cambridge, please, please don't worry. Sorry about, sorry about some others. Um, what about um, anyone who's kind of coming up through the ranks now in the education system and wants to know which direction to go in if they want to end up in F1? Is there a path? or Clearly, you just have to forge your own. But are there, are there good steps, decent steps that you can take?
2: Yeah, of course there are. And I, you know, I'm, I'm being a bit ruthless with, with Oxford and Cambridge. Um, but, of course, you know, I always, you know, there they would be... One of my first go to colleges or or two of my first go to colleges in fact um, for for you know young people coming through, i think you 've got to have a good degree you 've got to show that you are technically um, very very bright um, and that 's always been the case in formula One otherwise you know there 's just no place for you you just won 't survive um, but I think on top of that you 've got to be doing something a little bit different. Um, You've got to, you know, there's this whole Formula student thing, which is good, but it, it's slightly prescribed, you know, it's a slightly prescribed thing of, of, of what the universities do. Um, but it, but that's not to belittle it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a great advocator of, of, of that, I'm a great supporter of it, because I think that it, it kind of teaches people not so much about, about racing cars or the technical side of it, it teaches them to work in a team, and I think that's important once you get into Formula One. Um, you've got to have a huge amount of resilience. You know, it's, like, it's like any business which has a, a, a superficial glamour to it or whatever. Um, you've got to get in there and you've got to be, be prepared to get down at the grassroots and really work your arse off. Can I say that? Absolutely. I've just said it. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and take a lot of knocks mm-hmm. if you're going to succeed. You know, you got to.
1: And did you did you take a lot of knocks? Because it Everyone seemed does. well, it seemed that your path was actually fairly clear. I mean, you sort of stormed through from Jordan. Just tell us about those days, Fisichella's um, race engineer.
2: Well, I did, yeah, and I and I did all that at a very young age. Mm. Um, and but, Given
1: that you didn't grow up to you
2: forty, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were really young.
2: Um, yeah, that's right. It, uh, no, I, I was I was very very young to be doing all of that um, when I started, and and you know, I'm I'm eternally. Grateful to 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 Eddie Jordan, um, although don't tell him that, he, he won't listen to this. Really, um, I'm eternally. He gr- this
1: podcast. He listens to them. That's it.
2: Uh, Secrets Eddie, out.
1: He loves you. loves you. Love
2: yeah. well, well, he does. Yeah, and he always comes and he, he gets very excited when he's drunk and he says, to, "Well, he does get drunk does he, he's just hyper on life." And yeah. he says, and he says, he always says to me, "I made you. I made you." Oh, I remember once being stood in. We, I was in a restaurant um, having dinner with uh, Sam Michael, who used to work at at um, McLaren. at McLaren and Williams, and all the rest of it, and we were having dinner and Sam come back with the best retort ever, which was we were sat there and, he, and, and and Eddie came over half cut going and he said, and he said, "I made you too and 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 Sam said to him, "No, Eddie, we made you, <laughs> and I think that was the best retort ever, so I think we probably all made each other, but it was a great time um, and Eddie put a lot he, he was kind of somebody who could see. I think he's like a, a bit of a talent spotter because there was a lot of good people who came through Jordan and then went on to do to do other things got accelerated into into other areas of formula one um and we were a good team at the time, you know we were kind of this whole I, I hate the phrase actually because it's it's oft misused, but punching above your weight kind of thing but but Jordan was like that it was like the little terrier, but it, i don't think, i don 't know whether it punched above its weight or everybody else just punched below their weight. You never really know in life, dear. Um, but definitely let 's say Jordan did as well as it could do, and it 's always been a team you know when it's when it 's transformed into force India and now racing point you know um, it 's always been a team with that that culture behind it, so it was it was it was good times and yeah, I went there um, as a data engineer on the test team, and I think within six months I was a race engineer on the race team, so it all kind of accelerated quite quickly, spent a couple of you know about three four years there, I think in the end.
1: Um, and what sort of person were you if you could look back and describe yourself now?
2: Oh, an idiot, utter idiot.
1: Really? Yeah. In what sense? <laughs> just,
2: just as a just as a person, you know. Just as oh, but all young lads are now. I like quite often. Like I'll be on the tube or whatever, and like just watching groups of like young men or, or youths thinking idiots, idiots. <laughs> you know what I, mean? um, I think. Did you,
1: did you clash with Fizikella? I, I seem to remember a story about that. Maybe you told me.
2: Uh, you seem to have got a lot of stuff that I've told you that I can't remember telling you <laughs> oh, no.
1: um, this is what happens when you go out drinking after a race yeah. you clean your information it takes 8 years but it comes up in a podcast years um, later
2: I can't remember clashing with with fizzy. With I can remember well, I, can, I can remember we, we, we would have clashed because yeah. I, I kind of um, I'm uh, thing, isn't no it? yeah exactly it's not a, it wasn't a it's not a bad thing you know in terms of clashing Aggressively, if you like, Um, I think you've got to have, you know, even when I when I you know become more senior and I've had lots of you know more and more people working for me, I quite like that really healthy environment of having conflict in the workplace, you know, a healthy amount of conflict, not like people like dragging each other over the desk and punching each other, Um, but having somebody who'll stand up and go, hang on a minute, is this right? Mm -hmm. Because I think if you don't have that, you're all kind of just, you know, if it's very hierarchical and you know if if it's my department and what I say is, is is correct doesn't work and and it will never work in a competitive environment like formula one so you've got to have that um some amount of conflict and that that could be conflict you know down a you know between two two individuals and it could be conflict between you know one side of a department and the other side of the department you've probably got to have somebody who arbitrates and marshals that that conflict but having a little bit of conflict is great so I've always been one um that that would definitely you know kind of um, promote that and advocate it in, in the right way. Um, and probably, you know, when I was, when I was a race engineer and, and, and the job was a lot smaller than a race engineer's job is now, let's say, in some ways it was at least. Uh, we had more, less, less people working for us back then. Um, definitely having a little bit of conflict with, you know, the, the, the data engineer or the, the driver himself, I think is a good thing.
1: Yeah, challenging each other. I, I don't know how that fits into the Ferrari model. Tell me like is it more hierarchical or is there the sort of checks and balances that you talk of
2: no I think that you know you, you, you got to imagine that um, it it's it was a place that was much more politically astute that was the, that was the big thing for me you know walking out of Jordan and walking into Ferrari all of a sudden you're in this place which is you know far better run you've got uh, much more resource to do what you want you've got um, you know a bigger Set of, uh, you know, bigger group of people to, to, to do what you want in terms of engineering in terms, of just the infrastructure um, and the culture of winning um, is there from, from the outset. But it was a more politically astute place as well. You had to kind of, you know, you couldn't go there and, and, and think that the way that you acted um, as a team or even as an individual in a place like Jordan or, or Benetton of the day, you know, places like that. Um, would be you know, acceptable in, in a place like, like Ferrari because there was a hierarchy um, but that hierarchy was very, very good in, in setting boundaries um, and I think that's, that's what they did very well and it wasn't an overbearing hierarchy you know, if you take the, you know, the, 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 the top of the tree was, was Jean Todd um, who, who kind of looked after me from, from the outset of, of going to Ferrari um, and then on, directly under him was Ross um, and Ross worked with you know Paolo Martinelli on the engine side, um, Rory Byrne on the on the, on the design side, but really Ross was the, the, the technical boss um, and you know and, and they just did a fantastic job of of, of running the company um, and they set the boundaries of, of where they wanted us to work but they also had a very very clear vision and a very very clear plan and that was the first mm-hmm. time I'd actually seen that. Um, and that you know I learned so much in, in, in those early formative years at Ferrari. Where i could kind of watch these these formula one megas at work really and, and see how they worked together and see how they interacted and it was only when they they left as well that you understood how much they were doing um, you know because we were dominant in 2003 in 2004 you know and 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 six and seven and eight you know the the, the car was was the best car ever? It was. It was totally dominant, especially that zero, that 4 car. Um, you know, it was the same level of dominance as probably what what Mercedes have got now, if probably a little bit more at times because we were f- finishing races a minute in front of other people, um, which is slightly embarrassing um, at times. In fact, Monza that year, um, we lapped everybody uh, by the end of the first lap, because of, by the end of the second or third lap, because of general mistakes bad decisions. I think we were Michael and Rubens were were last and penultimate and they finished the race first and second um, almost lapping Fernando Alonso in third. So <laughs> that
1: is bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> is that inevitable in our sport that it's cyclical a team will just hit a purple patch and because at the moment there's lots of, oh it's just so boring but hasn't that always been the case that you know, now with Mercedes. Before that, with Red Bull, and then with you at Ferrari, that it's 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 just the way sport works, or at least Formula One.
2: Yeah, I think it is. I I, I think it is, and and I think what what we don't do enough. Um, you know, I, I was I was I was reading about the the, the Premiership. Um, I'm slightly obsessed with football, and I was you know I was reading about you know what what Man City have done done this year. Um, which is incredible, to be honest, and 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 when you read about it, it, it's 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 kind of everything's written and everything. The whole narrative there is is a celebration of, of excellence, um, and what we don't do in Formula One, I don't think, is we don't celebrate the excellence. You know, we're about the pinnacle of motorsport. We're about being excellent. Um, we're about achieving, you know, the the, the ultimate goals. Um, and, and when you get a, a team like Mercedes and before that Red Bull and before that Ferrari, what we're not doing, we celebrate for a short while because mm. they're kind of, they've knocked whoever was, was the previous king off, off their throne. Mm. So we celebrate that for, for a short while, but very quickly we get bored of it. Mm. And, and what we don't and do almost is... almost
1: resent it a bit. And,
2: and, and totally mm. resent it mm. because it's ruining the sport mm. and all the rest of it. But it's not their fault. you know. And, and it's like Lewis Hamilton. you know, Lewis come out with after the French Grand Prix that... Um, you know, it, don't blame us, kind of thing. We don't, we don't make the rules, and he's dead right. You know, it's not the drivers, it's not the, it's not the team's fault. Um, you know, the uh, as a whole, Formula One, the teams, the drivers, the the commercial rights holder, the, the the governing body. You know, we all have a responsibility to put on a on a on a show and and, and to make it entertaining. But if the formula is such that it allows for somebody to dominate then let's celebrate that let's celebrate their success and how good they are and what they're doing as a team you know you look at Mercedes now and they are and they are for for want of a better word and and I'll get killed in all courts for saying this but they're dominant Mm. of course they are um but but they've worked their asses off to get into that position you know and I've been in a position where I've been part of a team that's worked its ass off to get into a position of of utter dominance um where you win winning everything and, and you kind of get slated and you think, well, that can't be right because, like, you know, where do you win? Have you got, like, this period of, like, six months where you are winning, initially winning and that's all right and before that you're rubbish because you're not winning and then after you're winning too much...
1: I think it's a british thing i mean because when i'm thinking about those who are making the complaints it does seem to be from these quarters and i am always surprised that lewis hamilton doesn't get more praise you know this is a five-time world champion that has done incredibly well it's, it, his story should be a movie i'm sure it will be um uh, but i just think we love a plucky underdog and then beyond that, the minute people start just getting a bit too successful, you want to bring them back down to earth.
2: Yeah, def- it's definitely, a, I think... A,
1: why, though? I mean, why uh, do we
2: do it? I don't know. It's part of our culture, isn't it? I've, I've, I've got no idea why we don't just celebrate, you know, somebody who is who is, who is dominant and, and brilliant. Mm. You know, we always want the... I think it, it, it's, it's a natural part of the culture that you want an underdog to, mm. to do well. Of course you do. Um, but then that does that shouldn't allow you, that shouldn't be, be so imbalanced that you can't also celebrate, yeah. you know, excellence and, and, and dominance. Um, and, and Lewis is a is is a prime example. You know, the, the lad's done done fantastic. He's not from a particularly wealthy background, you know, I don't really know a lot about his his, his background. Um, but I don't think he's from a particularly wealthy background. He's picked up by, by McLaren when he when he was young, but he's done a lot of that himself, you know. And his talent is is is, is mercurial. is he's, he's he's absolutely brilliant in that car, and that's what Mercedes pay him for. Um, but also, he's he's got that whole. You know, you've got to give a lot of credit to to, to Toto and the team as well for the way that they've made the whole thing gel together. Um, you know, and, and they just keep knocking out, you know, brilliant car after brilliant car. But he keeps delivering in as well. And I think there's a there's you know it's it's so dominated by the car now and engineers formula 1 that there's very few drivers that you could put in a in a less than brilliant car mm. and hope that they're going to win the world championship for you um, in fact you can count them on 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 one or two maybe three fingers um and he's one of them
1: yeah i mean as an engineer what what is it like working with someone like that you know as you say it's well i don't know, what percentage would you give it car versus driver
2: it depends on the driver. It absolutely depends on the driver. You know, it's 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 a good question, and people are always asking it. But I think it depends on the driver. I don't think you can say, oh, you know, for for this driver, it's 50-50 for def- Definitely for Lewis, it's 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 and it maybe even you know sixty-forty in, in in his favour. For other drivers, um, you know, you know, let's say not triple A grade drivers who've who've got in brilliant cars and still and and can still win and, and win world championships as well. Um, it 's perhaps you know sixty forty seventy thirty in 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 the car 's favor, so it really depends on on the driver and, and his talent but but um lewis is is very much a, a triple a grade talent that we should be celebrating on a daily basis.
1: would you like the opportunity to work with Lewis if you do go back into the sport? would you like to go at the top end of the sport or come in with a, a lower team and bring them up through the ranks
2: um, i 've got no fixed idea but but right now, if I think about it um, I, I think I would like to, to go back in having kind of tasted both sides over the last however many years it is um, of going in there and having success in something that's that's been built and contributing to that in some way of course or maybe contributing in a bigger way to to, to a, a project and, and bringing that up I think that I would like to go into something which, which has that success if you're going to do Formula 1 you know, or, or my, my my attitude of if you're going to Formula One, then you've got to get out of bed on a Sunday morning um, and have skin in the game. Mm. You know, you've got to get out of bed on a Sunday morning and think, right, we're, we're, we can win this today, mm. and that be a realistic chance as well, not just some you know pie in the sky um, dream. So I think if you know, um, if when you know, I do go back into it on a full time basis. Ooh, I said,
1: <laughs> they said well, you, it was if slash when, and I felt that the emphasis was more on when.
2: Really? Um, I've just said if, when. That's all I've said, Natalie. Um, if I do go into it um, on a on a full time basis, then I think I'd like to do it with a with with a, with a top team and, and be part of that. You know, contribute to, to that that success.
1: No, I can I can see that. It must be demoralising when you are fighting back and just hoping to clinch a point at the end. I never really get that. Oh, we're hoping to get a point today. You know, that must be I don't know. That must be bloody hard to keep raising your game and team morale and momentum and everything else actually brings me on to Williams where do you think things started to go wrong for Williams because certainly when you came in there was a bit of a, a back in 2014 you know we're talking about Williams being clearly the fourth best team and and perhaps breaking into the top three so where did things go wrong?
2: Well I think in, in 2014 they, they you know Williams we, we had the on, on some occasions we'd have had the second fastest car yeah. um, you know overall we finished third in the championship, which makes us probably the, the, the third fastest team um, the year after uh, we finished again third, but we probably didn't have the third fastest car that that year so that was you know I think we did a really good job as a as a racing team uh it's difficult to to pinpoint there's never one thing you know and I don't want to give you some some corporate rubbish answer um but there's never there's never one thing. It's you know that there's never as there's never one thing why you know why are Mercedes so 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 dominant and, and, and smashing it at the minute. There's not one reason for it. There's not one person. Why are why have Williams gone 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 so far backwards? I guess there's never one thing, you know, and I'm not obviously gonna talk about individuals because that would be be wrong. Um, but has Williams being able to, to keep up technically technically with, with the competition and, and with that whole um, development capability, um, clearly not you know and, and I think if, if they were to really look inwardly at, at themselves and, and understand you know pit themselves against a not even a top team but but a midfield team that has perhaps got a different, different way of doing Formula One um, in the way that they are, um, you know, let's say taking R and D capability and knowledge from from other teams, Williams is still trying to do it completely alone. Now, that's not to say that you can't do it completely on your own, because McLaren have shown this year um, that by being wholly independent. Um, and even you know, with a Renault engine, which I still don't think is at, at the level of a Mercedes or a or a or a Ferrari engine, um, they're still performing very, very well. Um, however, um, you know, it comes down a little bit to. No, it comes down not a little bit. It comes down a lot, predominantly to, to, to budget. And McLaren have a bigger budget than 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 Williams, and therefore they have more money to to, to develop the car so you know what you've got to be doing you know if i was saying williams at the minute you've got to look inwardly at the infrastructure the technical infrastructure that they've got the people that that they've got and can attract um you know the whole design process the aerodynamic process um the 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 D process and and think about you know where that needs to be improved you know you know just go and walk around the grid and look at your car and, and go and have a look at other cars purely from a from a quality point of view if you like and and think you know does my car match you know even another midfield car's um, quality, and and if not then then what do I do to improve that?
1: Yeah, because it does feel as if everybody else has got their act together. That midfield seems crazily competitive at the moment, a- and also maybe a culture, a cultural thing. I don't know that, that, that you talk about the culture at Mercedes, and certainly when we interview the drivers at, after the race even though they keep on winning, somehow they jump out of bed the next morning and want to try that bit harder. There's always room for improvement.
2: Yeah yeah exactly and, that, and I think that's we had that at Ferrari we used to all, all get together like kind of the, the middle and senior managers after after a race and uh, Jean and Ross would chair would like a Monday morning meeting and it was a Monday it was a nine o'clock Monday morning meeting you know so it wasn't as if like you, you kind of all rocked up at lunchtime after you know coming first and second. But, you know, we'll be tired as if we hadn't come first and second. It was kind of, you know, it wasn't... We definitely didn't have a dark atmosphere, but but we knew that we'd left points on the table. And that wasn't kind of good enough and and must try harder. (laughs) Must try harder. Um, So I think you've got to kind of... That that culture's got to come from the top. So it had to come from Jean and Ross um, in in Ferrari. And it it will come from, from Toto and Mercedes where, you know, where... Nothing is ever good enough. You know, you're always aiming, and even when you are first and second, there's still stuff that you've done wrong. Um, and I think that that attitude—you have to have that attitude in Formula One. You know, you can't you can't let leave anything on the table, and you can't—you definitely can't sweep anything under the carpet as well. Everybody's got to look. What, what, what my attitude when you know when, when I went to Williams and, and and Pat Simmons and I started to kind of you know reshape things, especially on the racing team. You know, Jason Somerville was, was um, in, in the aero team and actually doing a really commendable job when, when you look back at the, at the resource and, and the people that, that he had. He, he produced a really you know, good, slippery car. Um, you know, and there's the other senior technical managers there as well. Um, one of the things that we definitely kind of did there at the outset was to say, right, we're not going to sweep anything under the carpet you know, because that, it, it, by, by doing that, we're not learning and it's all right it's not about the individual mistake I think Toto I, I, I read something from Toto a few a few years back um, where he said it's not the I can't remember don't blame the person blame the problem or something like that and and he's absolutely right you know it's it's not an individual's fault you know quite often I remember my first Grand Prix at, at, at uh, my second Grand Prix actually at Williams um, where I'm kind of sat in the middle of the pit wall and we did a one minute pit stop and I'm kind of watching this thing unfold in front of me going oh my god (laughs) I wish I got that probation period in my contract (laughs) no I didn't think that I didn't think that but anyway I kind of went back to the hotel and Lucy was in the hotel and I'm like I can't swear can I but I kind of you can definitely swear right I went fuck what have I done (laughs) and she said well it's a challenge isn't it you know um, you're going to have to try and sort it out and the thing was what what we said then we started to introduce you know a lot more process and procedure But what what I said to everybody is that what I want is after every Grand Prix is we all sit down as as a group of you know senior and middle managers and we discuss openly about what the problems were you know and that's catalogued somehow and 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 we were able to go back on that and and look at it and say right well. You know, we've made a mistake, and that's all right. Because it was kind of like the, the, the attitude at that point was to blame the poor mechanic who I'd thought, I think, had come out of the, the garage fifteen times with the wrong tire and ran round the car. It was kind of like Morris dancing, you know. what I mean, when you're watching it, you go, "What the fuck is this lot doing?" You've got me swearing now, so. <laughs> the potty mouths engaged. <laughs> and I kind of, I'm kind of looking at it, um, and 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 the attitude was, you know, I got a lot of people coming up to me after that saying. You know, and it, and it was very, just blame the easiest person, mm. who, the, the, the lad holding the hot potato at the end who had the... And I said, but it's never that person's mm. fault.
1: And actually, it's, blame so- culture doesn't really help anyone, does it? Of course it
2: doesn't. Of course it doesn't. It, in fact, it, 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 it ruins a Formula One team. Mm. It completely ruins and stagnates and stifles a Formula One mm. team because people just won't work. If they think they're going to put their head above the parapet... Because, I forget, Formula One is, is a passion and a vocation, but mm. it's also a job. Mm you know most people need it to pay their mortgages so they're not going to put their head above the parapet and in, in, a, in a blame culture environment and say yeah actually I made that mistake you know I understand where that, that mistake originates from and it was me because you know they're just going to get done for it whereas if you just say right well let's take away the individual blame and let's just start looking at the process as to how things went wrong you'll always get back to a process um, you'll always get back to a single point where you say, right, it originates from there, and it's probably originated three weeks before, yep. you know, the the actual, you know, the, the kerfuffle, the hot potato that that went on on a, on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Um, so by by kind of introducing that, I think that we were able to make really fast inroads on things, and and people were starting to put their head above the parapet. So this is this is really important. Mm. I think perhaps where we where we didn't, you know accelerate forward as, as much as we should have done is, is then what we should have been doing is looking at because that that that's kind of easy to put together. You just need a group of of technical leaders who are gonna say, right, it's our responsibility, so don't worry about that. You lot just do your jobs and and let's make sure that if we're making mistakes we're not making them twice. And let's put process in place of, of how we design and develop cars and, and you can do all that with, with good people. What you can't do is you can't do, you know, R and D you know research and development that that needs a lot of technical infrastructure um that needs benches and rigs and, and stuff like that you can't do that just in people's heads you know uh, you can't build that um it's not stuff that you can you can change from you know 360 degrees or 180 degrees sorry um overnight like you can with with, with how you manage people and i think you know if, if williams are going to improve then they're going to have to somehow either take that R&D infrastructure and that knowledge from, from elsewhere, as other people have done, um, which I know Claire is, is vehemently against, or you're going to have to build it yourself. But you can't live without it. You can't just say, well, it's a black hole in, in, in our um, organisation and we don't have that. You know, Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull, they all do it themselves and these other midfield teams, they're kind of getting it done by other people, but we're not going to do it. That, that just doesn't work. It just means that you're losing lap time and, and, and performance for yeah. them people.
1: You, you talked a bit earlier about driver versus car, and I want to know how much of an impact an engineer makes. So let's talk a bit more about the brain inside that head of yours and, and how it works and how you perhaps divide up the jobs, delegate, how much responsibility you take yourself. Just talking about, you know, ownership of... Of roles and responsibility, Uh, how how much of a difference can an engineer like you make?
2: Um, Or me individually, I'm not sure. But (laughs) but, (laughs) let's talk in general. Um, I think you know, in terms of well, if you run a department, then 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 in terms of responsibility, actual where the buck stops, it's got to stop with you, Um, and you can't allow it to stop anywhere else. You know, you can't. um, And I learnt that if if I learnt that off any one individual, it was from. Um, John Todd, who actually, you know, I said earlier, he, he looked after me when I went to, to Ferrari, and he, he he was always very good to me and kind of guiding me as to, you know, how to how to behave, how to manage, and then and then Stefano, to 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 a large extent as well. After that, Stefano Dominicali, you know, they're both kind of um, they were both acted as as mentors to me. You know, although there's much less age difference between. Um, me and Stefano than there is between me and John. He'll probably kill me for saying that. he always looks at me in a very evil way. He does that with everyone. Um, he doesn't listen to this does he? (laughs) (laughs) Um anyway, you know they kind of I kind of, you know, got a lot of guidance off them in terms of in terms of you know how to manage people and all the rest of it. One thing that I got off John a hundred percent was it's your responsibility. You know, at that point, it was at that point in my career, it was a car, and it was managing say ten, twenty people, um, and then you know latterly it was managing you know departments of people, and again um, it was that the responsibilities got got to lie with me. You've got to, as a manager, you've got to have vision. Um, you've got to be able to put that vision into some kind of strategy um, you know a short medium long term strategy but you've also got to be able to delegate you've got to have people around you that you trust you've got to have people around you that you think you know are both technically able and or able to manage groups Um, and they're the people you know once you've got uh, this this long term vision and strategy which has to come predominantly from yourself um, then you've got to let them people do the do do the jobs um and i guess
1: that's the hard bit isn't it because it's the old adage that if you think you can do it better yourself you you won't let anyone else go anywhere near it
2: yeah you will but that that'll kill you to be honest that'll kill you very very quickly um you know if you think you're you're better than everybody at everything um you're wrong basically it doesn't matter who you are you're wrong um so you've got to pick the things that you are good at and we're all good at some things and we're all bad at some things you know I, I know the areas where, where I'm particularly weak um, which are? Uh, it's and hard now, to think of them now isn't it? Now it's really really hard to think of them um, I get um, I like to, to have a you know especially when it comes to technical problems I like to have a, a really um, any problems really I like to have a, you know, I like to set vision and, and set strategy and, and, and understand what we're going to do technically um, and be involved in that, you know, in, in setting that technical path. Um, but then I'm, I'm actually quite bad at concentrating. I, I think, you know, I can be... Um, my, my mind's always, like, thinking about the next thing. I want to think about the next thing and, 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 and how we're going to get performance on the car and, and how we're going to do that. And kind of once you've set that path and you've got down to a certain level of technical detail... I'm, I'm much happier, like, just for somebody else to do that. You know, if you're staying in, in there, you know, to the very bitter end of the technical detail thread, then then you're missing the bigger picture yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, do,
1: but in a way, are we expecting too much of, of engineers? Because um, from experience, quite quite a lot of people in Formula 1 seem to be on the spectrum. So they don't, <laughs> therefore, necessarily have the social skills to manage people. Look, this this is... Something of a generalisation, but there's got to be something in this that we are expecting a lot from one individual. Even with the ability to divide up tasks, delegate, and all the rest of it, we are expecting a lot, aren't we?
2: Um, yeah, but I don't know whether the teams are really structured like that anymore. You know, that there's any one single individual um, who who you know designs, develops, runs the car. I don't, you, are, you
1: are you are expected to be people managers as well as being technically savvy and make you know decisions for the future development of the car.
2: Yeah, but that, that's why you've got to be able to delegate as well. And I think that that comes—it's not natural for for all of us engineers. But I think you, you you must be able to delegate. You must be able to 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 have people around you that you trust who who, who are who are usually you know. I I always surround myself with with you know people who, who follow me around are usually technically very very good they're not particularly people managers um you know you might not take them to to um well you might not take the solo house for for, (laughs) to have a nice lunch now but uh, (laughs) um because they probably end up kicking the doors in um
1: is that what i expect from you later then yes great
2: smash the place up (laughs) um but but I think that you need that level of, of, of technical people yeah. that you can kind of say, right, this is the vision and these are the boundaries on in which I want you to, to, to work and develop something, go and do it. Yeah. Um, and then you also need, you know, probably the level above that is, is, is good, good people managers. You know, they've got to be technically savvy, um, but you need good people managers. And, and people like me, my, the, the job is to kind of to, to manage that whole culture between the two you know it's still about setting vision and it's still about I think you, you can't you can't be you can't be a senior technical leader in Formula 1 if you don't have a really good knowledge of of the overall car performance you know and the bits that that were missing you know if you've got bits missing in, in your armory where you don't really know you know we're all let's say we all have a deep knowledge in, in, in some area, but you've got to also understand the other areas as well. Yeah. So obviously I'm not an aerodynamicist, but I took it upon myself at quite, at quite an early age to, to go and understand the aerodynamics of a car that you're, you can have conversations that just aren't one question deep, you know, um, and be able to challenge as well and say, well, why have we done that? Um, you know, what, why have we taken that philosophy with, with the car? Um, and understand what, you know, also what other people have done on the car. Um, then you know tires was was something that I you know became quite obsessed about because it's kind of something that um, it's it's a real performance differentiator as well and you hear it all the time and it's always you know you, you hear our problem is tires or their problem is tires or whatever well well what does that mean you know go into it and understand it and and actually it's something that that as I said i I've particularly taken myself to task on and and try to understand it over the past five ten years um but there's but you've got to understand the whole area because if you can't understand the whole complexity the technical complexity of a formula one car at some level you know and it's got to be more than one question deep as i said then you can't really manage the 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 whole thing you know and you because if if somebody comes to you if, if a tire expert comes to you and says I would like to do this, and an aeronomicist expert comes to you and say, I would like to do this, and the two things are incongruent, there's a big word for you, um, then you've got to know where the compromise lies between them. You know, you've got to be able to arbitrate that compromise and say, well, actually, what we'll do is we'll do 60% of your thing and 40% of your thing, and we'll end up with the best compromise. Um, so I don't think that, that you can technically manage people or departments if you don't have that, that level of knowledge.
1: And how important is your relationship with your driver? Because um, I heard you say once you almost became too close to Felipe and when he had his accident in 2009, it, it, it was very tough for you. And you said, well, actually, I don't want to get that close to a driver again. But how important is it to have that synergy and that, that strong dynamic in order to deliver performance?
2: I think, it, I, think it's, I think it's important to have a really strong relationship with all of your um, well, with all team members, first of all, you know it doesn't have to be sat in. You don't want to be sat in an ivory tower, um, but definitely the drivers play a key role. And I think that I've always had with 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 all of the drivers that that I've ever worked with, um, I've always had a, a good relationship. You know, whether that's from a you know running a department point of view, or or a, or a race engineer, or a data engineer before that, a performance engineer. Um, I think I've always had a, a strong relationship with with the drivers, um, because they are at in, in, uh, sometimes the probably the most fragile mm. link. They can be the strongest link in in in, in the chain. Um, they can be the most fragile link in the chain at, at times, and you've got to understand that that actually, you know, as much as. We as engineers, you know, we get a little bit of, of the limelight and, the, and, let's say, you know, the responsibility for the car performance. It's them who go out on a Sunday afternoon, on a Saturday and Sunday afternoon. It's very easy that, you know, it, it, you, you'll very rarely, you know, look on... I haven't got social media, but you'll very rarely look on social media or the, the, the media in general and you'll see, um, you know, individual engineers getting slated but you will very, very often see individual drivers getting slated. And they're human beings, you know, as, 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 you know, from the strongest, from the mentally strongest of them, you know, like Fernando Alonso, to the less strong of them, they all have their foibles and they all need an arm around them and sometimes, you know, it's just about doing that or it's, it's also about, you know, trying to understand their technical language as well. That's the other reason why you've got to, you know, have a good relationship with the drivers because they don't speak the language of engineers um, they have, you know, the, some of them, most of them are, you know, quite technically strong. But you've got to, you, you've, they, they speak a different language.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi
2: and ZepBound for those who qualify.
0: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns.
2: You've got to understand that language.
1: Well, it's more about feel for them than it's yeah. about actual knowledge of the technicality. Yeah, they
2: do. They, they, they feel, you know, all of them, um, they drive the car through their ass, you know, they, they, they feel it through their fingertips and they feel it through 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 the seat of their overalls. Um, and you've then got to have some kind of you know it's like the tower of babel sometimes where they're saying you know i I often listen especially with younger you know race engineers or whatever is that they're saying something and you know the race engineer will be having a completely different conversation with them and you and you kind of have to get in there as a translator and say well actually what he's actually saying is this you know and and kind of put that that translation together um others are very good at technically explaining stuff um but as i say they do speak a different different language but but they do it from feeling, you know. They, they don't understand things um, at the depth of what engineers do, and nor should they, you know, because neither you could put an engineer in a car and, and get him to drive it at the speeds that, that the drivers do. So you've got to have that, that marriage between the two.
1: It's interesting what you say about the vulnerability of drivers, both in terms of social media criticism. They are exposed, but also physically on the track, and as, as you saw from Felipe's accident, you know, he, he's the one that, that took the hit, you know, literally, and risked his life to that extent. And I think that must be hard in a way for you because you're, you're something of a puppeteer, you're pulling the strings, but once they're out in the cockpit, they're kind of alone to that extent, aren't they?
2: Yeah, they are, and that's why I think they rely so much on their race engineers. You know, they, they become their lifeline, if you like, that, that you have got um, some link back to planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're driving these machines, uh, but and 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 I think that's why you've got to you've got to have that strong bond between between the race engineer and the driver. It can't just be a professional thing where you know it's all kind of robotic and and very professional and very clean. You've got to be able to 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 have somewhat of a personal relationship because because when they're driving the cars at these very high speeds and they get themselves into a panic, um, or otherwise they just you know they just want some link back to Back to planet Earth, um, back to the pit wall, then then they need somebody. They need and, somebody human that they can rely on.
1: And that link brings me on nicely to your radio messages, which have oh, become ringtones through the, the years. Tone. I mean that is, I think it's probably because well, I don't know. Listen, I'm not singling anyone out, but at the moment, when you hear an engineer over the radio and they've just won a race. You kind of want them to go, Yes! Come on, you bastard! (laughs) And sometimes they go, Very well-driven, actually. And you go, come on, where's the emotion, where's the energy? And we definitely saw a bit of emotion, a bit of personality in your radio messages, um, which kind of makes you stand out. Obviously, um, the most infamous one, uh, being in 2010, do you have any regrets about the Fernando is faster than you moment in your career?
2: Um... Yeah, of course I do, you know. Um right, what
1: would you have done differently? What could you have done differently?
2: I think I probably, you know, if I look back on it, um I think I think as a as as a team as a team when what was, that? It was like a pinball oh machine my or something.
1: Oh God, honestly, this was this was the quietest area in the whole restaurant when we arrived at nine o'clock this morning and now it's the loudest. So apologies for this. What I would say was ambient noise it's not it's just dominating. anyway, uh, back to 2010.
2: Um, yeah, I think I think as a team when, when we all look back, we probably could have done things differently Um that's, that's clear, but you know regardless of that, I think that what what could I have done differently? I think you grow up you know and, and when I look back now, I can't even remember what was it 2010 it was 10 years ago, wasn't it? so I was like mid mid 30s, something like that. Um, definitely old enough to, to, to kind of know better but whether or not you always behave like that in the moment is is another question uh, I think that you know you kind of get yourself in a situation and feel aggrieved at, at things um, and I definitely felt aggrieved that day that, that kind of well we've done the hard work and we're winning the race you know and, and, and you know Fernando if he is quicker then he, he can pass us um, so, you know, in that moment you kind of get wrapped up in, in, in those thoughts. I think, you know, if I look back now, um, it was probably... I, I've never had a problem with team orders, by the way. I think team orders are, are part and parcel of the sport they always have been um, and they always will be. Um, You've got to deploy them at the right time. You can't just deploy them willy-nilly, um, but they've got to be done at the right time. Um, and they kind of got to be done inclusively as well. You know, you, if you do them on a, on an exclusive... Point of view where you know there's there, there's an inner circle know about the team orders, but then nobody else does. Um, I think that can create friction. So I think if you kind of you're all sitting down and you're being honest with e- with each other, you know, pre-season and pre-event, and you're saying, look, if this is the situation in this race, then there we will deploy team orders. I think most rational people wouldn't have a problem with that. Um,
1: whose decision was that then in 2010? Was it, was it yours or did, was it a group decision?
2: What to, to deploy team orders? Hmm. I mean, it, it, it's kind of, I, I guess it, it, it's a group decision in the end, but but in the end, you know, Stefano would, would, would have made the, the ultimate decision that, that he wanted to, to deploy team orders. What, what,
1: so you have regret that you didn't stand up for that, against that decision? What is your regret?
2: No, the regret is that probably um, that, you know, I, I made it quite obvious that we were deploying team orders um, oh, You should have been more subtle I should have been more subtle
1: <laughs> Okay, so we're going to role play now How can you be more subtle? I am Felipe You are talking to me through team radio, go
2: um, God, I don't know, to be Come honest Come on,
1: you played this out in your head, you must have done no, I haven't. You must have thought, I could have done that more discreetly
2: well, for example, after after he got past, I said to him something like, Oh, good lad, you yeah, know, good on you, good on you, mate, for letting him pass, or something like that. Now just stick with him, or something like that. And I shouldn't have said that. Uh, you know, there's just, it's, it's, it's fairly subtle, to be honest, the, the, the changes that you would have made. But I should have. Um, we, we all could have done better that day.
1: Right. <laughs> well, well swerved. <laughs> no, but do you say that you shouldn't have said that to him afterwards because it was rubbing salt in the wound that you, you, you were just pissing him off by saying that? or you were, you were accentuating, highlighting the fact that you had deployed team orders? The latter. huh. right, okay. And your regret was, therefore, that you got a big, chunky 100 grand fine?
2: Uh, the regret was that. The regret was that, that, you know, in the end, I wished, you know, if, if, I have, if, I have, if I could go back in time, I would I want it to play out. I'd want it to play out that we all kind of sat down pre-race and we said, right, this is what we're going to do. Um, and Rob, you're going to have to do this at some point in the race and Felipe, you're going to have to pull over if this is the situation. Uh, Have
1: a code that no one else can decipher.
2: Yeah, and and it just just kind of takes the sting out of it, the emotion out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, the way that it then played out, you know, Felipe wasn't playing ball, was he? I think I told him seven times or something (laughs) like that. Uh, Bless him. And, you know in the end, you know, poor poor Stefano was was absolutely pulling his hair out because what should have been just an easy, you know, me telling him once and and him pulling over um, didn't happen. Yeah, but Uh, I mean,
1: you can sit there before the race and agree something in principle, but in the heat of the race and drivers being drivers, they're not necessarily going to be compliant.
2: No, I think that that if you have conversations, I think if you have adult conversations pre-race, pre-season, you know, we always try and do it pre-season now as well. And, and set out rules of engagement. Um, I think if you do that, then then it, it, it takes the emotion out of it so much more. Okay. Um, I think if you're, and, and people are allowed to voice their opinion as well. If we say, right, you know, driver A is our number one driver, regardless of what it says in contracts, driver A is our number one driver, and driver B is, you are our number two driver. Um, and, you know, it, it's not so much about number one or number two, but, but we will back driver A in the situation where there's a 50-50. You know, I think Ferrari have, have done, you know, for all Ferrari gets slated, I think, you know, what Mattia did at, at the start of the season by saying, right, well, we're going to back um, Sebastian when there's a 50-50 situation. I think that's absolutely fair enough. Mm.
1: Um, and Charles will take that, given that he, he's new to the role and he's learning and this, you know, he'd rather be driving for Ferrari
2: than at the back of the grid. Of course you would. Of yeah. course you would, and, and, and Charles will will definitely take that. Um, but I think I think you did right in kind of setting that out. And, and and what you do is you take all the emotion out of it. It's not just something that appears on a Sunday afternoon, and people go, "Well, where did that come from?" You know, there was a narrative leading up to that.
1: So if, uh, that in mind, who was more pissed off, Stefano with Felipe or Felipe with Stefano, and where did you fit into all of that?
2: Um, I think that. Uh, Felipe was extremely pissed off, yeah, he was livid. I mean, it was kind of like uh, you know the it kind of ruined him for a while for a long while, I would say. Um,
1: what, in, ter- in terms of his racing in terms of his relationship with the team?
2: In t- just, just in terms, just, just in, in, in all in both terms, I think, um, I think that that's quite um, he found it a little bit difficult to 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 come to terms with that one. Um, and you know and, and, and obviously you know um, Stefano is a, you know he's a, he's, he's, he's a really good friend of mine and as I said earlier he, he kind of mentored me through, through, through a lot of my time at Ferrari um, and I've only got good things to say about him you know both as a man and, and, and as a manager Um, he was extremely pissed off with the situation because what should have been just an easy, you know, right, this is the situation, this is what's going to happen now, people, and you're all going to comply with it because I'm the boss, whether or not you're Felipe, Fernando, or Rob, or whoever, Um, that didn't happen, and it turned into a a kerfuffle. (laughs) Diplomatic way of putting it,
1: yeah. Um, Okay, good, so, like, yeah, as you say you grew up at 40 so you've got all this wealth of experience because everything has come to you pretty young you have to say that even now in your mid-40s it's like you've had a whole lifetime in the sport to learn and glean from and become the best consultant you can be uh
2: yeah i guess so i guess so yeah it did it did all i I guess i was just you know uh, i don't really know how it all happened i think a lot of it you know a lot of it if if you have to be honest with yourself as well a lot of it is, is is luck as well you're in the right place at the right time you've then got to work hard when you when you're given the opportunities um, and make sure that you you make good on those opportunities but but you know nobody should be looking back on their career and saying wow look how good i am look how good i was and what i achieved you know a lot of what we're given is is we're just in the right place at the right time um But yeah, you're right. I have. um, I did. I did do everything. I've I've always been like that. I've always been like on fast forward, um, 100 mile an hour, um, in everything, even in life, Um, and and definitely in 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 Formula One, Mm -hmm. things happen quite early for me. um, So I can kind of, you know, I've I've been in Formula One now for 20 years, uh, and you know, longer, in fact. And I kind of got to the point now where you, you need a little bit of reflection, you know, 20 years of, of doing, doing that, of going around the world with a circus. Um, you know, I can carry on, I can do it for 30 years, I can do it for 40 years. Um, but it's now time to reflect and, and become, as you say, the best consultant that I can be.
1: Yeah, but a sabbatical is quite a healthy thing, isn't it, just to take stock and work out. And hopefully for everybody in Formula One, that means coming back to the sport full-time in a competitive way, but, you know it is important to have quality time i think actually a lot of people say the older your kids get the more they need you which i kind of i don't know that fills me with a bit of dread because right now i feel like i need them and they need me but if it's going to get even more so then i I, i've got to do less races not more so so how, how do you deal with that like how does how does lucy feel about the fact that you may go back to the sport full
2: time She's just always been really, really supportive. When you're at the house, <laughs> yeah, <I'm> getting <laughs> under her feet now. Fuck yeah, gonna... off, go on, get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's just always been really supportive. I mean, and I can't, you know, say say enough about her, To be honest, um, she's just this brilliant, intelligent, wonderful human being. So you're going to vom now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, um, and she's supported me, you know. Um, throughout my career in, in my life really you know because I don't I don't know whether I'm the, the easiest person to live with as well um why not well we all have our foibles don't we we're all just a bit a bit mad when we're when when we're at home or just in in general I think I'm I think I'm, I'm a person who, who can't you know um we're just uh, you know our, our life our kind of our, our private life social life is is non-stop it's full on and that's because I'm a person who's all right. What we we'll do next? What we we'll do next? Right? I'm bored now. What we we'll do next? You know? Uh, and she's like, sometimes, oh for fuck's sake, just slow down and like stop for a bit. Um, but I quite like it like that. I think it's it's good for kind of you know your mental state. That you know we all have our different ways of of kind of keeping ourselves um, motivated and and you know you know looking to to the next thing. And that's mine. You know, I've always been. You know really really busy and and just you know either privately or or at work um so even in what is supposed to be a year of of sabbatical it's great actually because we're doing lots of holidays um but I'm also really busy with work and really busy with kind of stuff that is like in the middle of of work and and, and private um
1: well, one of the things that you do do together which I think is really healthy to to have kind of passion projects as a couple is your charity work the philanthropic um, endeavours that perhaps a lot of the listeners don't know about. Just tell us the background to that.
2: Well, um, I mean, how, how it all started, actually, was um, in 2007, um, our daughter, Minnie, was, was stillborn. Um, so, actually, it was on the day that, that we were going into hospital um, for her to be um, delivered, because she was overdue. Um, she was stillborn, and obviously that, that hit us... Um, Incredibly hard, you know I mean it still does as a, as a parent, you know I think about her every day and and she 's become part of our lives. you know she is just part of you know Frankie and Felix, who are my two boys um, it 's her big sister it 's their big sister, sorry um, and you know so we we spent a, a, a period of you know grieving and, and, and mourning you know a long period in fact and and in fact what what I should do at this juncture is i 've got to mention Ferrari in that because they were just outstanding they were I couldn't have worked for a better um, you know employer I couldn't have worked for a better team they, they were and it was. I think it's the whole Italian thing they were so human about it and they just said to me take your time do what you want and when you want to come back you'll come back and if you don't want to come back you won't and, and, and there was some individuals there um, principally Stefano um, where I kind of formed a, a bond with him like a brother, you know, like an older brother, because he just looked after both me and Lucy in 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 such a deep human way that you can't forget things like that. You can never ever forget um, that that milk of human kindness. And and there was other people there as well, um, you know, all, all of those people who who are household names who who really like looked after me um, and Lucy at the time. And then after after that period. Um, it kind of just it, it was very soon after that that we just said you know we're in this incredible incredibly fortunate position you know um, we're both from from fairly um, I don't want to sound like a working class hero but we're both from like you know very normal backgrounds we've been given all these incredible opportunities in life um, but now kind of you know and it's all just been on the ascent and now you've got one of life's harsh realities slap you in the face. You know something that that, that is going to define you in in a lot of ways. You know define define us individual, define us as a couple. Um, and and you think, wow, you know, what can we do to help other people in that situation? So we started to to put together these these charity events, and and you know the first people that we got involved with was 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 Sands. Um, which is stillborn and neonatal um, death um, society, and and so we put together a, a, a gala dinner for them, and then it kind of just went on and become a little bit more general. Um, I've just you know being patrons of of charities, doing things. You know I can you know L- Lucy does all the hard work. I kind of um, turn up and, and and talk to people and and. Say a few daft things and, and they all come and pay money, and then we'll do an auction. And, and all the teams are always very generous, and, and the wider community is always very generous as well, you know, with, with giving fantastic, you know, money can't buy prizes, that type of thing, and experiences. And we always make a lot of money. And I think if, if you're in such a fortunate position that you can do that, um, why not do it? Mm. Why not do it and, and give back to, to, to society?
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly helping others, but how. Does that work help you help you process the grief? Because it's unimaginable what you guys went through, and presumably, just ap- applying yourselves in that way was part of the bereavement process.
2: Ma- massively, yeah, massively. It made us feel. I mean, it makes you feel feel good um, about yourself to a certain extent, and it makes the the loss of you know it made made the loss of of, of Minnie. Um, kind of uh, easier to deal with and and give her a purpose as well, it was about her you know and, and a lot of what we still do with with charities, you know especially the charities for you know either poorly children or or, or stillborn children um, is is all about her you know in my mind it's it 's still about her and it still gives her a purpose and still makes her, her live on you know um, and she does you know what I mean it was uh, she was she was she was born on the the Fourth of June um, <clears throat> so we still have a we still have a we, we had a we had a birthday party a couple of weeks back or whenever it was we still go and let balloons out and then my, my mum and my sister who, who live up north you know they do the same thing as well we like let some balloons off and, and we write like the boys write messages on them and stuff like that um, and they love it actually because they get cake and toys and stuff like that <laughs> it's a proper birthday party um, but but you know the, the whole charity thing it it just gives it still keeps her alive if you like and and gives gives us a gives us a purpose you know and and her a purpose um so it's just nice
1: so um if people want to support the work that you're doing that they can google sands or what else could they do
2: well um so the so the things that um i mean the well i actually that the other charity that i'm involved is with is for because. Um, I lost my dad a couple of years ago to, to, to mesothelioma, which is a really nobody knows what it is, but it's a it's actually what we used to call asbestosis. So it's when you um, breathe in asbestos and it goes onto your lung and then forms a cancer. So so there's that charity as well. So there's there's there's, there's Sands, um, there's Zoe's Place, which is um, uh, a, a palliative care um, for very very poorly sick children, um, and they're around the country. And then there's Mesothelioma UK. So I'm actually doing an event um, for Mesothelioma U- um, UK next week, in fact. Um, so down at Limston Manor um, for, you know, uh, Michael Caine. K- I'm going to sound like, you know, it sound like Smash United and my great mate, Michael the <laughs> celebrity chef. So Michael, who's, who's a pal of mine, um, has invited me along to, he's, he does like a, a little mini car fest at Limpston Manor. So, just um, you know, get involved. If you want to get involved with that, then get involved with Limpston Manor. Uh, go down and see it. Support the charities. You know, there's there's um, spinal injuries charity as well, which Michael is. We're doing kind of fifty fifty between the two. Um, just just get involved and make donations. And the next time that that, that Lucy and I are doing a, an event, get involved with that as well.
1: Yeah. Good stuff. Listen, you got your hands full. You're certainly busy. I know that you're not at the racetracks that much, but you're busy, aren't you?
2: Yeah, I am actually, I'm, I'm, I'm really busy, uh, to be honest with you, I'm much busier than I expected to be with the, with the Formula One stuff. You know, Ross kind of, um, it wasn't public knowledge that I was going to take a sabbatical, but Ross kind of got to hear about it through, through WifeNet, um, <laughs> because Lucy's good friends with Gene, his wife, um, so he, he approached me like in early part, middle of last year, and said, oh, do you want to come along and like help us out? Um, and get you out of the house a couple of days a week. <laughs> so I was like,
1: Lucy had tipped him, Gino yeah, to tip yeah. Rosso to get you out the house. <laughs> I love it.
2: So, so I said yes. Um, and actually, uh, I'm, I'm really quite enjoying it. And that's, and that's something that I've got to think more seriously about. I think, um, because, because when I think about it, you know, I've done, I've done Formula One um, for 20 years in, 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 in a very similar sphere, let's say. Um, and is it now time to kind of make, to help make Formula One better? You know, which I can do from Ooh,
1: yeah. from,
2: from, from within, within, you know, by helping Ross out. And Just
1: as I was wrapping the podcast up, you go and tease us with that. Come on then, how are you going to do it?
2: Well, you know, what, what I'm doing now is is I'm, um, you know, what, what he's tasked me with is to try to bring some of that technical insight, that team's insight, um, to... To, to, to the general fan base you know? and you've got to do that on all different levels because obviously you've got your Uber geek fan base who who, you know, who are avid watchers and they you know they're quasi engineers kind of thing. And then you've got um, you know mum at home who kind of watches it you know because in, in some way shape or form um, because it's it's on the telly, linear TV so I'm learning all the phrases now. Um, and then you 've got all the digital platforms as well um which is what all the the eye generation it 's another phrase uh, are watching it so it 's kind of bringing you know the the technical insights and the and the way that we go about it as teams to the general public um i and and is there more of that that I can do i don 't know you know the, the, there's 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 stuff that 's open um i'm going to start my own go-kart team
1: oh nice yeah. I'm trying to think what my role in that could be. Probably not racing in it. Maybe I could be, like, catering. No, no, you def- I'm terrible at making tea. Can I have some kind of role in it?
2: What, in my go kart team? Yeah. Yeah. You can just be... Um... You can just be my mate, what about that? OK, good. OK, nice one. The money won't be very good. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's
1: all right. <laughs> we wouldn't expect anything less, tight northern bastard. <laughs> um, listen, you've imparted some of that technical knowledge today, so for that I'm very grateful, and I'm sure everyone listening, uh, even the people in the kitchen behind us who have been lapping all this up.
2: On the pinball machine.
1: Yeah, they've been, <laughs> they've been busy cooking your lunch. Um, Rob, thank you so much for your time, I do appreciate it, and um, we wait with bated breath as to your next move.
2: Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. (laughs) I do enjoy these things. Thank you very much.